Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Never wanna, I never want to come up to this pulpit without giving honor to um, Pastor, and where honors do anyway. But, but of course, Pastor, you know, he is our shepherd. He does lead us. He does trust us. And as uh, Brother Zach and Alex, uh, we say oftentimes, he trusts us. Uh, I'm not so sure why, but, but Pastor knows. And, you know, you know he does. Uh, I, I appreciate his leadership. He does um, iron sharpens iron with us. And just something that... Just try to help raise up the next generation. It's not something that he tries and keeps to himself. He says off times that he is blessed that he's he can step away and go on these trips and go minister other places because there is somebody else that can step in and I and I want to give him honor and I, I thank him for trusting me. We of course always want to give honor to Bishop. He was my pastor when I first started coming. Uh, you know, and what do you say about what do you say about Bishop? I mean that that hasn't already been said. I mean you know, we say it all the time, but I love Bishop, appreciate him. The Masons, just my youth pastors, will always be my youth pastors. Still, like I said, Brother Mason, I told him, I said, and I know his voice has been terrible too. He's been going through his own issues. And he said, don't sweat it, you know. And I'm like, I didn't want to do that. Well, I come in Sunday today, I come in this morning, his voice was worse than mine. And I'm like, I'm just kind of glad I got a little bit back. I didn't want to put that off on you. Uh, but I appreciate him, of course. Uh, Brother Alex and Brother Zach, um, love and appreciate them. We're in this together. Like, we are. We're coming up. I mean, I know that they're younger than I am. I am. I don't act my age, and I'm going to be okay with that. But uh, we're coming up in this together, and, and we, we joke around that there's been a couple times that pastor's been gone, bishop's been out, and then Brother Mason decides that he's got to be sick. And so, and so we joke around and say that they left the kids in charge. So... So I'm sorry whenever that happens, but, but we manage. Somehow we manage, but I love and appreciate them. Uh, Brother Alex, last week he was ministering, and I had to get on to him after service because he just started taking all my notes. Like, I had all these notes written down before he was doing that, before he started ministering, so I was a little upset because he was using the people that I was using. He was even saying words that I was going to say. He's like, just go ahead and do it. So I, I was telling Sister Grace that that's why Alex stayed home today. I told him he took some of my notes. He's like, well, I don't need to be there tonight. No, but I know he's joining in. I love you, Alex. Appreciate you. Get to feeling better. But we'll go ahead and go to the Word since I, I told you I'll have you standing. Uh, Isaiah 64 and 8. If you have your Bible, say amen. <laughs> I see every one of you. You guys are looking at the screen. <laughs> A screen, maybe. <laughs> But that's okay. That's what it's there for. Isaiah 64 and 8 says, But now, O Lord, thou art our father. We are the clay and thou our potter. And we all are the work of thy hand. Jeremiah 18, 1 through 6 says, The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheel, wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. Verse 5 says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, 
O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. I just want to minister just for a little while. I don't know how long it's going to be, how short it's going to be, so we're all in this ride together. Broken, but not destroyed. It's just a word God gave me. Let's go ahead and pray right now. Heavenly Father God, Lord, I thank you for what you have blessed me with. God, Lord, I just pray that you would anoint these lips of clay. God, that you would remove any air from my lips. God, Lord, that the, that the voice going forth may be a familiar voice. But Lord, let it be your word spoken to this congregation for these people tonight. Lord, Lord, for those in this house, those joining online. God, those that may see this at a later time. God, Lord, we ask that you would anoint it and bless it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And the church said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. And as Brother Mason would always say, that is a courtesy and not a command. Uh, this topic, broken but not destroyed. I oftentimes tell people that this is just kind of how God deals with me uh, whenever he wants to give me a message. Um, some people will get a scripture and then they will just start branching off from that. God seems to just give me a title. And then he's like, all right, now go find it. And so, and so that's, what, that's what I did. But, but I've really come to encourage someone today to speak to someone in the middle of a storm, in, in, in the middle of a season with where you're at. I come to speak to someone tonight to hopefully encourage you. Our adversary is going to tell you that you are worthless, you are useless, you're good for nothing, not enough, you're broken. He's going to tell you that no one loves you, that you are a burden, that you've gone too far, that you're crazy, and the list can go on and on. That's what our adversary is going to tell us. And he's going to toy with your mind, and he's going to make you believe every lie that he can tell. But I'm here to tell you tonight that the devil is a liar. Amen. We've heard it time and time again. The, uh, the saints of old is always the old slew foot, the, the, de the devil, he's a liar. And it's true. He is a liar. He's going to get you to believe everything that he can. You can search all throughout scriptures and know that he is a liar. He will, he will do whatever he can to, to bend the truth. He did it with Adam and Eve. He knows our weaknesses and he'll do whatever he can to plant a seed of doubt and fear in hopes that that seed, that that seed will produce roots that are not easily removed. He'll just plant a little bit of seed. We, you know, we, we talk about a mustard seed. You know, if God says the faith of a mustard seed is all you need. And a mustard seed's really small, and it, and it grows to be really tall, right? Well, that's what, the, that's what Satan wants to do. He wants to just plant this little bit of seed in your mind. A fear, doubt, whatever thought he can, just put it in there, and then those roots are going to take hold. And whenever those roots take hold, it's not, easy to, it's not easy to remove it. Like a little sapling's really easy to take out. But if you let it grow into a big tree right here, you're not just going to go up and yank on that thing. It's going to take a whole lot more. John 10 and 10 says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. We know what the thief wants. But God has a different plan for us. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 9 says, We are troubled on every side. We're troubled on every side, but we're not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, or shall I say broken, but not destroyed. I have come to tell someone tonight 
whether here or online, it's okay to be broken. It's okay, right? I know what you're thinking. Something uh, that is broken is not usually a good thing. We think if something's broken, we're ready to toss it in the garbage and move on, right? If something's broken, we're ready to just move on to the next thing because we're, we're, we're done with it. It's broken. There's, there's nothing else can be, do, can be done with it. But being broken is not always a bad thing. Anything that is broken can be fixed if you have the time and money, Right? But if it cannot be fixed, if it is something that is broken beyond repair, beyond anything, then it's considered destroyed. That's what we consider destroyed. When we go to house fires and stuff, you know, a lot of times if it's just smoke damage, they can come in and they can repair that. It's just been broken. It's been damaged. But something that has been destroyed whenever the, the fire completely consumes it, there's, there's no repair to that. There's nothing to even repair. It is destroyed. Oftentimes we link these two terms together, but in reality... There is a big difference between them. You want to know what the difference is? Dictionary.com defines broken as reduced to fragments, fragmented, ruptured, torn, fracture, not functioning properly, or out of working order. That is what broken is defined as. That sounds pretty bad, right? Anything that's reduced to fragments, that's never good. But uh, Dictionary.com also defines destroy, though, as to reduce to useless fragments, a useless form, injure beyond repair or renewal, to put an end to, to kill, to render ineffective or useless, to defeat completely. So I gave you two definitions right there. Did you catch the big difference? When, when, when something is broken, it is reduced to fragments. But when something is destroyed, it is reduced to useless fragments. You may feel broken right now, but you are not destroyed. We are in the potter's hands, as our scripture, opening scripture said. As long as we are in his hands, we are not destroyed. All throughout the Bible, we read about people that went through some serious stuff. The, the scripture's full of it. From front to back, it doesn't matter. Some people went through some serious stuff. People who had emotions, thoughts, fears, hormones, feelings, right? All these things. Things that we experience in our lives, they did too. But I think we cast them off because we know the end of their story, right? It's really easy to not think about somebody, to not think about David and what he went through because we know that David ended up being king, he ended up being great, God, you know, man after God's own heart. We end up casting that off that what the things that he went through, nah, it's not really that big. But scripture tells us their story. It tells us the beginning the middle and the end, but, but I think Scripture leaves out very important parts. Now, of course, everything in there is what God wanted us to know, right? But it leaves out their, their thoughts, their feelings, things that they were going through in the midst of their storm that I think could help benefit some of us in the middle of our storm, in the middle of our trial. Can we just look at a few of these right now to see how much we can actually relate to them? So this is where I was getting on to Brother Alex because he used some of my people. So, so I pray that, that what I'm talking about, and, and I was talking to Brother Zach about it. I said, um, although, although we, may, we may get up here and preach the same thing, we're all different. We, we, talk, we talk different. We, we, we're going to see something a little bit different. It kind of reminds me, I'm not, I'm not calling us, 
you know, the disciples or the big four, you know, I'm not calling us that, but it kind of reminds me of that because you can read all of them. They all have, are talking about the same story, but they all read a little bit differently. But everyone knows about Joseph, right? He was the dreamer, the coat of many colors, the older brothers that hated him, just a few tops of the trees with him, right? I think anyone with siblings might be able to relate to Joseph. The only children may not be able to relate, but, but the, uh, the ones with siblings, siblings may be able to, to relate to him. I think it is universal that the youngest child is the most spoiled and probably mom and dad's favorite. I think, th- I think that is universal. Whether you are the baby and you're willing to admit that, or whether you are, <laughs> whether you are the, the older child that agrees wholeheartedly that that's exactly the way that it happened. That mom and dad would never let me get away with that. Now, I would have a hand to the back of my head if I would have ever done that. You know, something like that. That is, I think it is universal. I don't think that is just among one small group. I think that is everywhere. And, and like I said, if you are the youngest, you're just in denial. And maybe one day you will become self-aware. But in Jesus' name. <laughs> but, but, uh, but Joseph was 17 when his brothers sold him in, to the Midianites, sold him as a slave. 17 years old. That's pretty young, right? Mariah, you're 17, right? Mariah, she can be sold as a slave if she was Joseph. That's, that's pretty young, right? Trevor, Trevor's re- ready to sell her off, I think. I don't know. That's that whole sibling thing. I don't know. But, but he was very young whenever he was sold off. But the reason his brothers didn't like him, he was a tattletale. He was a snitch. You know, there's feelings that go along. Like when, whenever you really dislike your brother, there's, there's some feelings that go along with that. But he was really only sold because one of his brothers convinced him not to kill him. <laughs> I've never, like, I might have said, you know, I'm going to kill my brother. I, I would never kill him. I might physically hurt him, but that was beside the point. That's, that's, I mean, that is what it is. But, but they were willing to kill him. They, they hated him that much. Could you imagine the emotions that he went through, thinking that his brothers hated him that much, especially when they cast him into the pit and they were just going to leave him there? He couldn't climb out of this pit. And they decided to pull him out and sell him off. He was cast into prison for refusing to commit adultery with Potiphar's wife. This is Joseph that had dreams that had God speak to him and like let him know that, hey, I've got a future for you, right? But can you imagine the doubt that he probably experienced going through all of these? What's going through his mind? You know, Satan could really have a heyday with Joseph. I mean, like I said, we don't get to hear everything that he went through because there's many years that span between the time that he was sold. And, and, you know, we just hear about when he's like 17 years old, but we don't know about how he was, how his brothers may have tormented up to that age and, and things of that such. To how do you get to that, to that point in your life that your brothers are ready to kill you? There's things that happen, but we don't hear about that. But he had dreams so many years ago, but nothing seemed to be working out. He knew that he was going to be used. That, and, of course, you know, that's why his brothers hated him, because he was telling about his dreams, that his brothers are going to bow down before him, that he's going to rise up, and they're like, you know, that's, that's terrible, but, but he had these dreams, and he knew they were of God, but, but things just seemed to be happening, and he's like, sold into slavery, but, but God keeps blessing him, so he, I'm sure he's on an emotional roller coaster, hey, he's high, he's doing really good, I've got this dream, oh man, I've just sold, he just went downhill, all right, God, you said that you were going to do this with me, you're going to use me, but, so what am I doing here, but we know that God was with him his entire life, 
He kept blessing everything. That's why he rose to the ranks and where he was. And that's why we know at the end of his story, he's able to bless his brothers and his father. And then everything eventually comes to pass. But can you imagine the emotions and everything that he went through leading up to that point? Because we don't know how many years he was a slave. It tells us his age and it tells us other things, but it doesn't tell us how long he was actually doing that. It tells us how he worked his way up and how he was blessed, but it doesn't tell us how long that actually took. It doesn't tell us how long he was actually in prison. Now, I did read where it, uh, he was two years after he told the baker and the butler their dreams. He was spent two extra years, so I don't know how long he was in before then, in prison, being mistreated, behind bars for, for doing nothing wrong. Like I said, could you imagine the heyday Satan could have had with him? The seeds that he could have been planting on him? You may have a calling on your life right now, just like Joseph. But unfortunately, you're going to have to go through some trials before you see those things come to pass. But don't give up. That's what I want to tell you right now. Don't give up. We want to. Our adversary tells us to give up. We want to give up, but don't give up. God is still working. A few other things. If you cannot have children, this is a big thing, right? Remember Abraham and Sarah. Now, the Bible, we go to Abraham and Sarah because, I mean, they're just, uh, you know, really popular, right? Because we know Father Abraham. But they're not the only ones that were ever barren. They're not the only ones that went through the trial of not being able to have a child, not being able to reproduce. And we know that through this, and we know reading through the scriptures, that that was something that was very traumatic for the women of that day. Because that was, that was how they blessed their husband. That was how they blessed their family. That's what they were known for was rearing children. That was their, they, they, weren't, they weren't focused on a career. They weren't focused on their life. They weren't focused on any of this. They were focused on their children and raising them up and giving their husbands young boys to raise up. Because that's just the generation and that's the time that they were in. But we looked at Abraham and Sarah. You know, Abraham was supposed to be the father of many nations. But Sarah was barren. We know this. We know that they went through that. And, and so we know, going through their story, that they went through doubt. How do we know that they experienced doubt? Because we have Ishmael. Because they, they said, all right, God, we know that you, gave, you put a calling on Abraham's life, but, but nothing's seeming to be happening. We're, we're trying. We're, we're doing all we can. And, and you know, in today's, in today's terms, it's we're doing the IVF. We're doing whatever thing. God, we know that you have this promise for us, but nothing seems to be working out. But God said it's not time yet. So, so we know that Abraham and Sarah took, took matters in their own hands, and that's how we get an Ishmael. I want to encourage someone, don't take matters into your own hands. You're going, to a, you're going through a storm right now. You're going through a storm. You're not alone. But God is with you. Trust in God. I can't imagine, you know, especially being a guy going through this, I can't imagine what Sarah was going through. We know what Abraham was, you know, he's a guy. You know, we, we know what he was probably going through, like, all right, God, was Sarah really the one that I was supposed to be with? Am I being punished for some of the decisions that I've made previously? But can you imagine, Sarah, this is really all she really ever wanted was to give Abraham a son. The doubt, the shame, because it was shameful. Because it was looked upon as being, you, you committed a sin, that's why you weren't able to, to bear children. So, so everyone's looking at her and like, okay, well, what did Sarah do? 
What's wrong with her? Why is she not able to give this great man of God children? And the sadness that goes along with that, I can't imagine. But that story, those, those people are in the Bible for a reason, to encourage someone. Because God still had a plan, and it came to pass. How did we know it came to pass? Because we got Isaac. We got Isaac. That's how we know that was how Abraham was going to be the father of many generations, many nations. If you experience loss, we all have. Amen? We can look to Job or Ruth. Job lost everything. <laughs> and the thing is, we know Job's story. Like, we know front to the back everything that happened to Job, Job and it was all because of Satan. He lost everything. He lost his children. He lost his animals, his servants, his health, his wealth. The only thing that poor, poor Job did not lose was his wife. And this lady wanted him to curse God and die. I, th I tell you what, Satan knew what he was doing with this one. <laughs> Amen? So he knew, he knew how evil she was. I'm going to say that. But, uh, but can you imagine the emotions and everything that Job went through? Because he did everything he possibly could to live right. Like, he praised God. He worshiped. He offered sacrifices. He offered sacrifices for his children just in case they sinned when they were out at their own house, when they were, you know, hanging out with their brothers and sisters and drinking and doing whatever they're doing. He's offering sacrifices and praying to God that he would, uh, you know, take care of them when they're out being dumb. That's how, that's how much faith Job, Job had. And then he loses everything. I can't imagine everything that's going through his head. But he still refuses to curse God. Everything going on, like some of us, we, we stub our toe and we're ready to curse God. Like, really, God, why'd you put that bed right in the way? Like, or that end table that's been there for five years, why is it right there? You know, that's just how we are. We're, we're just not Job material. But, but, but Ruth, look at Ruth. Like, Brother Alex talked about her last week. Ruth is one that we look to because she lost everything. So in that time, you know, whenever a widow was, whenever she was made a widow, you know, of course she was married. She had the life going. Her husband dies. Well, a lot of those times whenever the, the husband dies, then it's up to the husband's brothers to carry on the family name. It's, it's weird, but that's just the way it is. We might think it's weird, but that's just their, their culture. That's the way it was. But, but for poor Ruth, all the brothers got killed. She had nobody. She had Naomi, her mother-in-law. Naomi lost her son. She lost her husband. She lost everything. She didn't even have anything. So what does Naomi do? She just leaves, and she's like, I'm going to go back to my, to my people. I'm going to go back to where I'm from, and then they're just going to glean in the fields and do what widows do. Could you imagine the emotions and things that they're going through? You experience loss. You experience the loss of a loved one. Your life partner, the person you're supposed to be with and you're supposed to do life with, have adventures with, and there's nothing now. And you've got to completely start over. Ruth did this, and Ruth was so distraught that she didn't even want to go back to her own people because she didn't feel at home with them. So she, she went ahead and went with Naomi. She said, your people will be my people, your God will be my God, and she, you know, she went with Naomi. But... God had a plan because she said, your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. So what does she do? She goes and gleans in this field and she just finds this hunk. She just gleans in this hunk's field. 
and just starts getting eyes for him. You know, Boaz, evidently, evidently Ruth was pretty attractive because Boaz, you know, this widow's gleaning in his field. You know, they were kind of like the lowest of the low. They were looked down upon, not by anything, not by any of their doings. That's just the hand that life dealt them. They could be upset. They could be distraught. They could be all kinds of, of emotions going on in their life. But, wrote, but, but she meets Boaz. And what would end up happening to Ruth? She would become the great-grandmother of David, which we know is the lineage of Jesus. So God had a plan this whole time. Did he know that, did he know that everything was going to come to pass just as he did? No. But Ruth decided, you know what, your God is going to be my God, and he decided to use Ruth. If you have doubt, we just talked about all these other people. They have doubt. But one guy that comes to mind is Gideon. I don't think Gideon gets talked about enough. Gideon, if you read the book of Judges, it's really good to talk about Gideon because Gideon, he was, he was a little scared. An angel of the Lord came unto him as he was threshing wheat and he was hiding because his, his people were captured by the Midianites at this point. And, you know, it had been seven years, I believe, that they were captured and he's just threshing wheat. He's just hiding because he thinks that he is nothing. An angel of the Lord comes to him, appears unto him, and says, Hey, uh, Gideon, I'm going to use you to save my people. He said, What? He said, why, why would you use me? My family is poor. They're nobody. They're no names. Okay? And, and I'm the least in my father's house. We've heard that story before. We heard about David, right? But Gideon, he's like, You can't use me because there's, my, my family's poor. We're, we're nothing. I'm nothing. I'm just, this, I'm just a little guy. I really have nothing to offer. Can you really pick somebody else? He had doubt. But God told him that he was going to use him. He even uh, put a fleece. He told uh, Gideon to put a sacrifice on a rock and all that stuff. And, and you know, uh, the angel of the Lord lit the rock on fire to consume his sacrifice, to, to show him, to prove to him, because Gideon just doesn't believe. He has so much doubt in him. And then he's like, once that fire, once the, the offering is consumed, he's like, okay, I, I've surely seen God because he has met an angel face to face. And so a few years go by or, you know, some time passes and he says, all right, Gideon, I need you to go and, you know, go to battle with these people. And, and so Gideon, he's not so sure because God tells him to only take like 300 people. And he's got way more than that. But he's telling him to only take 300 people. So, so what, is, what does Gideon do? He doubts. So he puts a fleece before the Lord. That's nothing, right? Just one little, okay, God. You know, if, if, if this is your will, then I'm going to put a fleece before you. So he puts a fleece out on the ground, and he says, if the, if the, if the fleece is wet and the ground is dry, I'm going to believe you. I'm going, to, I'm going to trust in you, and we're going to do this thing. He goes up the next morning. That exact thing happens. He wrings that fleece out for a bowl full of water. That's enough to trust, right? <laughs> Not for Gideon. He said, all right, God, uh, don't be mad. But how about this? How about let's reverse it and let's put the fleece out again. And if you can make the, the fleece dry and the ground wet, I, I know. I know that you've got a plan and I'm going to believe you. And of course, he gets up the next morning and that exact thing happens. And then we know the end of Gideon's story that he ends up going to battle. He, you know, wins and all that stuff because, of course, God lets us know the end of his story. But Gideon was full of doubt. And how many of us can relate to that? (laughs) 
Jesus, that's me. I'm, I'm, talking, I'm talking to us tonight because these are people that we can relate to that, that oftentimes we just treat them as characters, treat them as, as fictional characters, as a story that we just read because we know their story. If you deny Jesus, how many has ever denied Jesus? Just said, nah, you may not have denied it openly, but in the middle of a conversation, you've refused to, or you've neglected to bring up that you are a follower of Christ. But we can look at Peter as somebody that denied Jesus. Peter was a disciple. He was one that walked with Jesus. We know his story, right? He witnessed the miracles, but still, when he was alone and when he was worried about what everyone else was thinking, he denied Jesus. He was human, just like you and me. Because how many times when you're alone, do you want to just, um, you don't want to ruffle any feathers? You don't want to be the lone one standing out. Am I the only one? Because that is definitely me. God has built me the way that he has built me. And the boldness will come on eventually, but it has to be of God. I might be like Gideon and I need a couple fleeces before, before I step out and do what, he, what he's called me to do. But that's, our, that's human. But the apostles, the ones that followed Jesus, did the exact same thing. You're not alone. You're not alone. This is nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun. If you have fear, how many have fear? Fear? I deal with fear. Can we look at Moses? Now, I'm sure that, that when you think of Moses, fear is not something that you think of because of all that he had did. Because, like I said, we know their stories. How many times he went face-to-face -face with Pharaoh when Pharaoh could have just killed him right away and taken care of him? But he went ahead and went face-to-face. -face. But fear... When I look at, when, when God first spoke to Moses, and he tells Moses, hey, I'm going to use you. He says, who am I? Who am I that you're going to use me, God? And then what does he say after that? He says, they will not believe me. And he says, I'm not eloquent. I, I just, I can't. And then he says, I am slow of speech. You know what? I think I can relate to Moses. I, I really do. Because... They just sound like a lot of excuses of someone that is fearful. Someone that's afraid to do, to step out because he's in his comfort zone. He's been just fine back in the wilderness tending to his father-in-law's sheep. He's been just fine doing all that because it's comfortable. There's, there's, no, there's no ruffling of the feathers. There's nothing going on. Those are, those are things that I can relate to. I like my comfort zone. That's why they call them so comfortable, right? That's why, that's why we like to sit on our pews sometimes. That's why we don't like to step out. That's why we don't like to visit the altar. We like our comfort zones. Nobody visits us in our comfort zones. Amen? But when God first spoke to Moses, he tells him all this stuff. But those are just excuses. So have you ever tried making excuses why you can't do something for God? Amen. We could talk about David and Samson and their girl problems. I think, I think some could relate to that tonight. Amen. 
I mean, I won't, but I think we can. I think you guys know where we could go with them because there's so many people in the Bible that we can relate to. They have emotions. They have feelings. They have hormones just like we do. They experience life just like we do. Just because we know the end of their story doesn't make them any less of a human. They were people just like us. We could go on and on and on about all the different people because this Bible, 66 books filled with people from front to back of the of people that God used. Every one of these people went through a time in their lives when we could consider them broken. But as you see, they were not destroyed because everyone in this Bible, everyone that I talked about has an end to their story where it was greater than the storm that they were going through. Than, than, than the time that we would consider them broken. We know that Job ended up with a double portion. He was, he, everything was two times greater than what he had when he lost it. They were still able to be used by God, and they did not give up in the middle of their storm. I've come to encourage someone tonight. Don't give up. Our musicians can come tonight. So I have always heard that a bone is stronger after a break. Has anyone ever heard this? That a bone is stronger after a break? It's kind of weird because I was like, as I got to studying this, I'm like, I need to know if this is actually true or if this is an old wives' tale. And then I had to think about, is it wives' tale or wives' tale? I think it's wives' tale, regardless. But as I started studying, it just seemed to be an old wives' tale. After a break is completely healed, every, every article that I was able to read, it said after a bone is completely healed, it is back to being the way that it was before. So it's not stronger, right? Well, wrong. Because during the healing process, there is a point where the bone is stronger. You're like, oh, wow, after it's broke, there's a point there. There is a point where it's stronger. There are three phases of healing. There's a reactive phase. This is where the area swells, the bone forms a callus, and then calcium is just deposited into this area for rebuilding. There's a reparative phase. This phase is the strong phase. And then there's a remodeling phase. This is the final healing. In the remodeling phase, this is where it becomes back to normal, back to where it was before. So you can break it in the exact same spot after the final healing. But... For some reason, during the reparative phase, when it is broken, it is stronger because the body is sending calcium. Like I said, it's sending calcium there to, to form these, these threads to like bring this bone back together. And I can't help but think that that is like our walk with God. <laughs> as, I, as I saw that and I'm like, okay, well, this just totally debunks my idea. But as I got to reading the three phases, I'm like, that's God. Because in our reactive phase, whenever our life first starts going wrong, we want to take, we want to take action. We want to try and do whatever we can. So we want to send, we want to build up that area or whatever it's going to be. But whenever we realize that we can't, and it's not us, and there's a reparative phase where other things are coming together and it's becoming stronger. And I can't help but think that when we're in the middle of our storm, God is right there with us. He is building us up. Scripture tells us that he makes us strong when we are weak, right? 
when we are weak, then we are made strong because God is with us. So the broken, the broken bone, it's going to be at the end. It's going to be the same as it was before. When it doesn't need any more help. When it's, when it's not going through any battles. When it's not facing anything. But when it's in the middle, when you're in the middle of your storm, when you're in the middle of being broken, is whenever God's going to come in and he's going to start putting these threads. He's going to start binding things. He's going to start taking action. God is our strength. Hebrews 13 and 5 tells us that he will never leave us, never forsake us. Of course, I had this scripture, and, and I can't help but Brother Mason this morning, I think he probably said it at least 10 times. And it was just a reaffirmation re, uh, that what, I, what, what God had to say is, is what, he need, what somebody needs to hear. He's never going to leave you in the middle of your storm. He's never going to leave you when you're broken. You can go ahead and stand with me. We will never, we will never face our battles alone. Oftentimes, I, I've said this oftentimes, and, and the reason I say it is because I've felt it. I go through these things. If, if I'm not talking to anyone else, I feel like God's talking to me. That these emotions, these things that people went through are things that I go through. The doubt, the fear, the questioning. God, can you really use me? Like, I'm up here tonight. Am I really even fit to be up here? Those are thoughts that our adversary is going to try and plant a seed. But it is up to us to pluck that seed up. That it does not fall on some fertile soil where we're just continuing to doubt it. And that those roots will just take hold. We need to pluck that up as soon as it falls there. Because there's no room. We cannot allow any room for the, our adversary to just plant those. And we will feed into it. This altar is open for any who will or wants to. It's okay to be broken. To not have it all together. That's, that's, not, our, that's not our culture. That's not, that's not what we tell people right now. Because... We don't let anybody stay in their brokenness. We don't want anyone to stay in their brokenness. I'm, I'm guilty of it. If someone comes to me with an issue, I want to see if there's something I can do to fix it right away. Because I don't like seeing people sad. Amen. That's, that's my DNA. That's the way I'm built. I don't like, I'd rather see you laughing than to see you crying. But sometimes we need to cry. Sometimes we need to be in the middle of that brokenness. That way God can step in and do the repairing. Because if we skip that repairing stage, it's just going to break. It's going to be brittle. That, that calcium's not going to get deposited like it's supposed to. We just have to trust in Him. God has a plan for each and every one of us. Whether you believe it or not, He has a plan for you in your life. You have to trust in Him. We may not understand the timeline, and we may not understand the storm and the season of life that we are in right now. But God has a purpose. God has a plan. Can we just lift our hands and go to the Lord in prayer right now as Brother Mason prepares to sing something? Just cry out to God that he has a plan and he has a purpose for your life. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.